0: I don't know, uh, I haven't talked to all of you personally, but uh, we're beginning a new year. And uh, I just want to challenge you this morning uh, with a few words. I believe this year that we're facing will be uh, a year like we've never faced before. The world is facing uh, something they've never faced before. And we're all an audience to the reaction that our world is having over the President-elect that will be inaugurated uh, this coming Friday. Never before have we saw uh, our nation divided like it is. And when I see division like we see it in America, I think about what God's Word has to say about division. And can I say this: the enemy is the author of division. God is not the author of division. And the enemy loves to do everything he can to bring division. He'll bring division between our spouse if at all possible. He gets us to major on differences instead of majoring on the fact that we took our spouse for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and health, as long as we both shall live. And, uh, and yet the enemy will do everything that he can to bring division in our marriages. He'll do it between our, our, our wife and our, our spouse and our children. He'll do it. When we come to church, he likes to divide the church. If he can just divide the church, uh, again, he's accomplished a mission. He, he knows you're, you're, you're not going to go out and steal or kill somebody. But if he can just get you on the other side of the page and get you to think thoughts other than what the church is thinking and what the leadership is thinking, he's, he's got the spirit of division that he's trying to capture you with because he wants you to become verbal with the difference. Because he's interested in one thing, division. Let me say, bottom line, what the Bible says about division. A house that's divided can't stand. Can we look at America today and can we wonder what the future of America might be? Except for prayer and people like you. And the churches around the world that are not just praying because of division, but we're praying that God will give wisdom to the leadership of America. Number one, that, um, that America will realize that never, never, never shall we ever turn our back on Israel. Right. God's word says, I'll bless those that bless. That's my family. God says, that's my family. You bless my family and I'll bless you. And you curse my family. And you may say, I don't curse. Well, you just turn your back on them. And he said, I'll turn my back on you. Listen to me. We cannot afford leadership that will ignore, ignore Israel today. They're God's family. They're God's chosen. And no matter what happens, he's going to see to it that they win. I don't care if Iran comes after them with a nuclear power. God will sustain Israel. Mark it down. No weapon formed against Israel has prospered in the past, is prospering today, nor will it prosper in the future. Other things that we look at today in America, we we see things that are happening in front of our very, very eyes. And uh, we see the things that are being transformed right before us today that we never thought we would ever see in America. But the Bible says, you know, and and as we study the Bible, we see that, that how things that, that the Bible tells us and warns us about and encourages about, instructs us about is happening. And then I'm so glad that the Bible is fully understandable. There's things that we read sometimes that we don't comprehend, but God wants us to understand one thing. No matter how wicked the world may be, no matter how rejected God may be and His Word may be, the Bible says when you see these things come to pass, lift up your eyes look up something's about to happen your redemption is drawing nigh so we're closer to home than we've ever been this world is not our home we're just a passing through our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue an old song we used to sing years ago but today when we see these things happening earthquakes you know I, The first time I heard of an earthquake in Oklahoma I thought you know we never ever have had an earthquake in Oklahoma to my uh, remembrance and today it's a common situation and now we're we're in we're in the the season and I don't know you know I stand to be wrong but one thing that I do know is when I see things begin to happen the first thing I ask myself what does the Bible have to say about this? Bible says in the last days there'll be Wars, there'll be rumors of wars, there'll be famines, there'll be pestilence, there'll be earthquakes. And while the world is searching for some specific scientific reason about everything that's being pumped back down into the reservoir where we are retracting oil, the Bible says this is a sign. That things are pointing to one thing. There's an event that's about to take place that I have not seen nor ear heard. And it's the, the promise of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Never before have we saw things happening like we're, we're seeing happening. But to the church, be encouraged. This could be the year when the grand finale would take place and the trumpet of God would sound. And the Bible says, this will be a sign, the trumpet will sound around the world in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. The world will hear it all at the same time. And the dead in Christ will rise first. The graveyards will open. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So there's an event that's about to happen. And that's why we are preparing and trying to get everybody ready for this great event. Because once the trumpet sounds, time to accept Christ will be over. And we don't want anybody to miss going to heaven. Going to heaven's going to be worth everything. And so while the focus of our world today it's upon politics, while it's upon wars and rumors of war, you and I have our work cut out from us because God wants us to focus on the basic instructions before leaving earth. Stay focused. On the Bible in these hours let the word encourage you let it bless you let it strengthen you and let it renew your mind day by day as we face things that we don't know exactly how the outturn will be for that day but we do know the outcome will be we win we win and I want you this year to look in the the mirror every time that you think about it and I want to stir your gift of thinking to think about it every day and I want you to begin to remind yourself of this thought. I'm blessed and highly favored of the Lord. Yeah, amen. If you weren't blessed this morning, and if I wasn't blessed, I wouldn't be here. I've given God plenty of opportunities to take me home, and He hasn't. We're blessed. We're blessed. In Him we live, move and have our being. And and, and never before have I saw Uh, so many people discouraged, and and there's a lot to be discouraged about. There's heartache and sorrow, and there's everything that comes our way that many times that we're not prepared for, but I want you to learn this one thing this year. Learn to encourage yourself in the Lord. Your best friend may fail to forget you the day you need to be encouraged. The psalmist David went through everything that you can imagine. He had moral problems he had children problems he had you just name it i mean he 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 just was he was clobbered from the very beginning to the end of his life but during the process of life he left this nugget with us he learned to encourage himself in the lord and so as you as you look at this year i want you to know you're blessed you're highly favored of the lord God is not against you. He's for you. And he wants to fight the battles that you're encountering today. And sometimes we wonder how things are going to work out. And sometimes we don't have the answer today of knowing how things are going to work out. But according to this, in the book of Romans 8 and 28, chapter 8, verse 28, you can know this. How many you like to know what you're hearing is the truth? Right. All of us do. The Bible says this, and we know. I want you to get this into your knower. If you love the Lord, you're going through a situation you don't have the answer today. Base your, your challenge on what God's Word has to say. And we know that all things work together for good to those that love the Lord. To all who are called according to His purpose. And maybe you're facing, uh, maybe you're facing the loss of a loved one. Well, well, we've all faced that, and it's not a gla- glamorous time. And, you know, uh, let me just say this. If, if your loved one is a Christian, rejoice. Boy, there's more, there's more to go to heaven for than what this old earth offers. Think about heaven. No more sickness, no more heartache, no, no, more, no, more, no, more, no more hurts, no more sickness for the former things have passed away. So be encouraged. I want to encourage you. I've never met anybody as I encourage them to say, don't put that encouragement on me. I've had all the encouragement I can handle. I've never met that person. But I want you to carry the gift of encouragement. And to those that you see, I want you to have a word for them. And, and if you'll go to God's Word every day, He'll give you something to share. And sometimes it's just saying, God loves you, friend, and He just sent me your way to tell you and remind you He loves you. Amen. Yes. He does. He does. He does. And then the icing on the cake is to come back and say, And I love you too. too. And if they don't like you, they'll run from those words. Or if they're suspicious about you, they may. But listen, God wants you to know the truth, and He will reveal the truth if you will allow Him. Stay focused. Stay focused on God's plan. He has a plan for all of our life. And with those words, I want to, to move to the Scripture for just a few moments before we go to the baptistry. And I want us to look at the Scripture found in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. And then I'm going to add one verse in the following chapter, chapter set, uh, 4, verse uh, Verse 1. <clears throat> I want to say a word about the author. The Apostle Paul is a, in a prison during the time that this this epistle is being written. His expectation is to be acquitted. So, And his plan was to move on to the Philippian congregation where he had started a church. And he wanted to go there in the near future. He had a word for them. Uh, but the Apostle Paul had been arrested as he had traveled through Jerusalem. And they'd kept him in two years for two years and then five years later he's still waiting he's still waiting the first two years it was just waiting for a trial and then he thought trial was coming his way and then when he's writing these words he's still in jail he's still under house arrest as he writes to the congregation of the Philippian people and here's what he's exhorting the readers to follow my example a new church doesn't know everything, doesn't have all the religious rules and the cans and the cannots all down, haven't, haven't, haven't been a, hadn't been a follower of Christ as long as the Apostle Paul. And here he sits in prison, and he's exhorting the newcomers, the new Christians, join me in this example. As I tell you today, the most important thing you can do is rejoice. Let me say this this morning. I don't know about you. If I'd have been in the Jail for seven years or the major county jail or the best jail in the country seven years and somebody had walked in my cell and said, what's wrong with you? Start rejoicing. I don't mind telling you. I'd said, hit the road, Jack. Not Paul. Paul came as one of the worst sinners in the Bible. He was persecuting the church. He was putting to death the Christian people. I mean, he was doing everything he could to nail the door shut on the church. And then one day on the road to Damascus, God gets a hold of his life, turns him around, takes his bo- side away from him, and takes him down to a house so he can talk to him. And he transformed his life. If God can transform Saul's life, he can transform our life. Not only did he transform his life, but he changed his name from Saul to the Apostle Paul. So with these words, let's begin reading in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12. I like the way he expresses it. He's been a follower with with Jesus. He's been through trials and testing. And there's how he starts in verse 12. Not that I already have attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold for me. And then I like this, verse 14, Brethren, he's calling the new church at, at Philippi, Brethren, they're his brothers in the Lord. I do not count myself to have apprehended or understand all that's going on, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before or which are ahead, I press notice what he's doing before he presses before he moves in a forward motion he said I'm going to turn loose of the past I'm going to turn loose of every misgiving everything that people have done to me I'm going to turn it loose I can't stand the baggage of yesterday I'm going to forget those things because forgetting is a decision not a feeling He said, I'm going to forget those things which are behind me, and I'm going to reach forward to those things which are ahead of me, and I'm going to press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Verse 15. Therefore. Have you ever wondered what that word is in the Bible for therefore? Well, it's there for a reason. That's a Greek terminology. It's, It's there for a reason. And here's how he starts. That was really deep, I know, but uh, I read that, therefore, quite often. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. Paul is speaking from a mature mind. And he said, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal it even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that which we have already attained... Let us walk by the same rule, and let us be of the same mind. In verse 17, he says, "Brethren, join in following my example, and not those who and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Let me ask you today, uh, how many patterns are there in your life? How many are there that just has done it everything right? Even the Christian walk. You know somebody, they've never lost their temper. They've never said a bad word. They've always went to church. They've always said good things about the pastor. They've never grumbled and complained. they just, uh, I mean, they've just, uh, they've just, they've never drilled any dry holes, Ron. They've just, almost, everything they hit was a gusher. And, uh, I mean, it got our attention because, uh, I mean, they were a pattern. Yeah. And we say, that's my pattern. I'd like to someday, I'd like to be like that. I don't know about you. I'm I'm not the pattern that I know God wants me to be, that I could be. But we're looking at the Apostle Paul's life and we're watching what he's going through and then going through what he's going through and being in prison and being locked away from the churches he started and the Christians just can't pass by and and bring him a, a happy meal each day and something soft from McDonald's to drink. No, he's in a prison. He's locked from people that he's loved, that he's led to Jesus. And he's telling them, God wants to reveal the things you don't understand, and He wants to do the same for us today. There are just things that none of us will fully understand in life, especially in following Jesus. There are just, just some things. Sometimes, sometimes our family just falls apart. Just sometimes we have a member of our family that just breaks our heart, or maybe there's more than one, and we just, you know, we've done everything we can to bring them to church. We've taught them how to pay their tithes. We've, we've. Taught them the scripture. We put them in Sunday or children's church, and they memorized the scripture. And then when they turn eighteen or nineteen, it just seems like, boom. And you wonder whose house they came from. I mean, I'm not talking about your house. I'm talking about my house. Okay, you just—it's all right for you to say, "Oh man, uh, man, he's really preaching to himself today." Listen, I found out one thing in my life and God has did this in revealing to me, when I'm going through something that I don't understand, here's what God has revealed to me. I trust you enough that you're going to depend on me to carry you through this situation so that you can be an example to others. Yeah! I want to say, is there anybody else up there? You know, sometimes it's not what we hear that we want to hear. Sometimes it's not the It's not the circumstances that we want to deal with. And yet, God says, I've trusted you. I need somebody that will be an example. I need somebody that will keep their head up high and their chin off their chest when they're going to hell on earth. And be a Christian and rejoice even when things are going north when you intended for them to go south. Let me read this uh, scripture from the Message Bible. I I like the message. I never... Read it from the pulpit, but uh, I'm sure if you don't like it, 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 I won't do it to you very often. But I, I just want to share with you what the message says about the scripture I read. Starting with Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16, and then verse 1 of the following chapter. We're talking about focusing on the goal. Here's what the message Bible says I'm not saying that I have it all together that i have it made but i am well on my way reaching out for christ who has so wondrously reached out for me friends don't get me wrong by no means do i count myself as an expert in all of this but uh, i've got my eye on the goal where god is beckoning us onward to jesus i'm off and running and i'm not turning back so let's just keep focused on that goal Those of us who want everything God has for us, if any of you have something else in mind, something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision. You'll see it yet. Now that we're all on the right track, let's stay on it. Stick with me, friends. Keep track of those you see running the same course, headed in the same direction. There are many out there taking other paths, choosing other goals, and trying to get you to go along with them. I've warned you of them many times. Sadly, I'm having to do it again. All they want is easy street. They hate Christ's cross, but easy street is a dead-end street. Those who live there make their bellies their God. Belches are their praise. All they can think of is their appetites. But there's far more to life for us. We're citizens of high heaven. We're waiting for the arrival of our Savior, the Master, Jesus Christ, who will transform our earthly bodies into glorious bodies like His own. He'll make us beautiful and whole with the same powerful skill by which He is putting everything else as it should be under and around Him. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. My dear, dear friends, I love you so much. I do want the very best for you. You make me feel such joy. Fill me with such pride. Don't waver. Stay on track. Steady in God. Yeah. That's not bad, is it? That's from the Message Bible. If you don't have one, and maybe you you struggled for uh, the interpretation of some words, don't be afraid to buy a Message Bible. It's just layman's terminology, and it, it spells some things out for you that, but as I was as I was looking at this this message, and I was thinking about some applications that you and I can deal with on a daily basis, I've been on an airplane more than once when turbulence began to shake that plane, and the plane just kind of seemed out of control for a moment. And if that's ever happened to you, you probably got a little nervous, no matter how much you've flown. You may have tightened the seat belt a little bit, pulled it a little tighter. You may have grabbed the armrest you had your arm on. You may have even felt a bit unsettled as you were cuddled in uh, the fuselage of an airplane, suspended in air with nowhere to go. You may have started reading, again, trying to get focused on the word of the the book that you've been reading. And you're reading the same line over and over as the airplane is shuddering with turbulence. It's destabilized. And the air is rocking the, the plane you're in. But then probably also you've heard this voice come over the speaker of that airliner. And the captain says, we ran into some choppy air. So we're going to adjust our altitude, and hopefully we'll find some smoother air. Let me ask you, what happened when he said that? You're just like me. You took your focus off of the turbulence, and you put them on the voice of the captain. Could I bring that down to where we live today? Sometimes a storm gets very turbulent. Sometimes we think we're suspended from nowhere. And it just seems like the old, the old vehicle we're riding, it just seems like it's kind of out of control. But there's a lesson in this illustration this morning. We're either going to focus on the turbulence and wonder how in the world things are going to work out, or we're going to focus our attention on the one who's really in control. And Jesus is the captain of your ship today and whatever you focus on is where the attention of your life is going to be expressed and as the journey of life it's the enemy's tactic it's his his approach in our life to get us sidetracked and get our focus on our problems and our situations and get them off of God so he can get us depressed and oppressed and we can we begin to begin to feel sorry for ourselves, and we begin to just want to throw in the towel and go the other way and if we're not careful we'll blame somebody else for the very existence of the turbulent storm that we're involved in friend Don't forget, there's a captain of your ship today. And nobody's life has been shipwrecked that's listening to the captain of the ship. He's been through storms. He's been through difficulty. He's been rejected. His own family turned their back on him. But he never jumped ship. He stayed with the ship. And I'm telling you this morning, I'm speaking to somebody in this building. I want to encourage you this morning, stay focused on Jesus. Not only is He the captain of your ship, He's the author and the finisher of your faith. He's not slack concerning His promises. If He said He'll work it out for you, He'll work it out for you. If He said, I'm going to fix it for you, turn loose of it and trust the captain. He's going to get you to a safe landing, and you're going to walk free in Jesus' name. Put your hands together. He deserves a praise and the glory this morning sadly but true all of us find ourselves looking to our own human resources to be victorious to be successful to be righteous and we're really looking hard but the news flashes through the power of the Holy Spirit and it says you're looking in the wrong direction friend success can never be wrapped up in a clay vessel that I live in Good things cannot be wrapped up, and the righteousness that I so long to be today can't be wrapped up in a handful of dirt that forms a house that I live in. But when Jesus moved in, he took my unrighteous deeds, and he tossed them into the sea of forgetfulness just by simply me asking him to come into my life, and he made me righteous. Righteous. Not because of my deeds. Not because of my performance. My righteousness is not based on his performance. It's based on what he's done. And I've got to stay focused on what he's done because the Bible says he's the same yesterday and today and forever. And if he did a miracle yesterday, he can do it today. And if he's a miracle-working God, what he can do today, he can do tomorrow. He never changes. Can I say this? Our methods change on a daily basis. Every day, the methods of having church, the methods of of raising family, the methods of, of working at the job that we work at, the methods change. But can I say this? The message will never change. Don't get hung up on methods. Stay with the message, and God will see you through. As I was uh, looking for an illustration, this one fit me, it doesn't fit you, so I'm going to share it with you so you can laugh at me. No one goes to Krispy Kreme's just to look at donuts. We go to Krispy Kreme's to eat donuts. One thing is guaranteed, though. If you go to Krispy Kremes to look at donuts, you're going to wind up eating a Krispy Kreme. Why? Because the more you stare at it, the more you're going to want it. Satan's goal is to get us focused on our sins and our shortcomings. And by focusing on our sins... It won't help us a bit. We have to focus on something else. Someone else who can help us overcome that sin. We have to focus on Jesus. Have you ever noticed that Krispy Kremes, they don't ask you what you want. They just reach over there on the rack and hand you one. How many besides me, you've been guilty as could be of taking that yep. and eating it. Yep. Ah, I can't believe it. How many, when you bought the dozen, got it in the truck and set it in the seat, you set it in the front seat so it'd be convenient? Amen. You don't want a little reach clear in the back seat, you're going to be driving. So you put it real handy so you can figure out how to Look down the highway and open that lid and get another Krispy Kreme. Yeah. Oh, we didn't need it. We just put it there just in case. We, we wanted it. Well, what happened is Krispy Kreme knew how to whet your appetite. And I can tell you one thing. If you eat one, it calls for another. And I'll tell you what. I didn't think I'd confess it, but it calls for another. And if you're not careful, when you get that box home, there's more than one missing from the box. However, I bought 10 dozen for the church for our New Year's celebration. By the way, if you ever get an appetite and need, need 10 dozen, just bill them to Elm Grove and be sure you pay for them, but they are 5.95 a dozen if you buy them through the church. I thought since they were that cheap, I, I ate several on the way home. So you could have the rest of them New Year's Day. But there's just something about a man's appetite or a lady's appetite when you find something you like. Oh, I know, I know, I know, I have family... I have family members, I'm telling you, they they are such health citizens that I don't even know whether I'm going to heaven or not because I eat sugar. Friend, if I didn't have a little sugar every day, you'd run me off. And I wanted to tell them a few times, maybe a little would help you, but faith without works is dead. And I refuse to work that in their life. One other thing I want to share with you this morning. Because we're all faced with testing times. We're all facing days when we'll be tempted in some form or fashion. And you can look at me today and you can say, Pastor, I'll never be tempted. Oh, really? Not the speed. We're getting ready to pay out of the IRS. Not to fudge just a little bit on. Oh, I know they. I'm just. I'm just. I'm just throwing out some things that, uh, uh, you know, just for us to think about. But temptation will show its face, its face to us every day of life. Right. Yeah. And the Bible says this about temptation. When you think you're strong, look again, lest you fall. And if Adam and Eve living in the Garden of Eden could be tempted when they lived in a perfect place. I want you to get a load of this. They lived in a perfect place. The Garden of Eden was perfect. They didn't need a hospital. They didn't need a bank. They didn't need a funeral home. All they had to do is just... Enjoy the fresh air every day. They didn't even need a clothing store. I mean, it was perfect. And they were tempted. We'll get a load of it. If Adam and Eve bent to temptation, look in the mirror real close today because we're all tempted. And I'm going to close the message this morning with something that that really spoke to me and it's one of the ways that people train dogs to you dog owners you know this but for many of us that just believe that dogs are be are to uh, eat the leftovers are to eat a bite while they're under the seat bumping us on the leg. Wanting a bite of what we're eating? One of the ways people train dogs is through the use of temptation. The trainer will take a piece of red meat and throw it in front of the dog. And the first time that the dog sees the red meat, he'll probably go after it because that's his nature. The second time, the trainer will throw out a piece of meat, but the dog is restrained because the master is saying this word stay telling the dog to stay is making the dog redirect his attention to the trainer before rewarding him with the meat I want you to get this now I want you to get this good Telling the dog to stay and making the dog redirect his attention to the trainer before rewarding him with the meat, the trainer will continue to tempt the dog with meat while retraining him to give his undivided attention to the trainer by repeating stay. Eventually, the dog will learn that if he focuses on the trainer or the master, he gives him his attention The trainer will reward him. The dog will learn to handle the presence of meat because the meat is no longer the focus. Now down to our spiritual way of living. The devil knows that we're not focused on the master, so he continues to put temptation in front of us to keep us distracted. If we could learn every day to focus on the master, we would then be able to handle the temptations that are so often put before us, because doesn't the Bible say he's the rewarder of those that diligently seek him? And yet, the dog listens to the master when temptation to go after it is before him. He listens to a voice and doesn't obey what his eyes bring to his memory. I want to leave that with you this morning. I believe God has a message for all of us. And uh, the enemy hates for you to leave here saying, I've got something today I'm going to take home, and I'm going to practice. You see, I'm not into preaching a good sermon and a good sermon is never good until we see the results i'm telling you you can you can unveil a good message and people can slap you on the back and tell you how awesome that is but it's never an awesome message till you see it penetrate the heart of somebody and they come back to you days or weeks later after the service and they said you can't believe it." What you said today is where we've been all week. And then you just put the icing on the cake and confirmed what has been going in our life. We're right on. That's a good sermon. That's a message. And when we come to church, I believe this year God's going to clothe us with messages that will transform our life. It'll cause us to want to stay focused. You know, I look back on days that were good in my history book, but I also had some strikeouts. And Paul left this word with us: forgetting those things which are behind. Why would we turn loose of those things behind? Because not everything behind is good. And looking forward to those things which are before. Why would he tell us to look to those things before? Because there's more to look forward to in the future than what's ever gone on in the past. In Isaiah chapter 43, I thought I had it in my notes. It says, do not remember the former things, neither consider the things of old. If I said it, I'll do it. I'll make a way in the wilderness, and I'll give rivers in the desert. The jackals and the ostriches will honor me because I have performed the word that I've spoken. Listen to me. Don't regret yesterday. Use yesterday as a stepping stone for tomorrow. Tuck those nuggets in your heart where God has blessed you and he's met you and he's ministered to you and he's fed you and he's made a way for you. And in those areas where the enemy has tried to depress or oppress you, remember, let that that temptation to allow your past and your strikeouts to distract you. Stay focused on one who's the author. He's the finisher of our faith. He's one that's touched by the feeling of our infirmities. He's not slack concerning any of his promises that some men count slackness. And he suffered a long time just so he could serve our table. Isn't that awesome? He's the God of the great I am and he knows you very well as well as he knows me and I can tell you how well he knows us the Bible says the very hair that's on top of our head has been numbered that's how much he knows about us we're going to close in prayer this morning Jared's going to come take the service while I meet with those candidates who are going to be baptized in the back. We'll take a few moments to get ready for baptismal. But I'd just like for you to bow your head for just a moment. The beginning month of 2017 is already about halfway behind us Today. And I just want to charge you with an expression from the Holy Spirit. Every day of your life, I want you to allow Jesus to walk in your pathway. I want you to allow Him to say something to you through His Word. I want you to allow Him just to put His arms around you and love you in your most difficult moments because He cares. And I want you to make a decision this morning, this very morning. God, I want this to be an awesome year. The most awesome year that I've ever served you. The most awesome year that I've ever followed you. And I want you to take my life and use it to bring glory to your kingdom. Give me the strength to love as you have loved me. Give me the strength to forgive as you have forgiven me. Give me the strength to forget as you said you had forgotten all of my past. Not only have you forgotten it, but you buried it in the deepest sea called the Sea of Forgetfulness. Help me, Lord. I want to be what you've called me to be, doing what you've asked me to do. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. God bless you. I'm going to meet the candidates for baptismal, and we'll be ready in just a few moments.